podcast starts. Hello everyone, if this is your first time listening to this show, then welcome. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back, and thanks for sticking with us. This show talks about horror, horror on film, TV, other media, other items which we like to think of as adjacent to horror, and sometimes other things from our lives which we like to talk about just because that's who we are. This week... As promised two weeks ago, this is the latest in our ongoing series of Halloween film franchise reviews. So we're reaching the sixth film in the franchise, 1995's Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. So we have a number of hosts who vary week to week, but I am Dan, T.D. Velasquez, but Dan to you. And for a minute, you're just going to be hearing me on my own. But when we get into the review, I'll be joined by other co-hosts. We'll have the return of Howard and our regular uh, Halloween franchise review cohort, Spider Dan, joined with a brand new guest, actor Luke Richards, to contribute their views on this movie. For now, though, it's just me for this week. Um, There's not a lot of news that I'm aware of in the world of horror. Um... Kirsty and Stella are still busy with professional duties, um, and to be honest, so have I been, which is why I've not really kept my ear to the ground of horror news. But I do have one item to impart, and is often, as is often the case with me, it's my job to bring the sad news to the podcast about somebody who's passed away. Um, very sadly, uh, on Monday, which was... Uh, the 21st of September, and his 83rd birthday, we had the death of the American-Australian cartoonist and designer Ron Cobb. If you don't know who he was, um, he was a very significant designer whose contribution to the world of science fiction horror has been extremely significant. Um, He did a lot of the um, design of in the first two Alien movies, and he also had great input into the DeLorean from Back to the Future, um, several of the aliens from Star Wars, um, and lots of stuff beyond that. You can go to other places to find very detailed retrospectives of him. Um, there's a lovely obituary on YouTube uh, by Alien Theory. Um, devoted to him. In fact, that's how I found out that he'd passed on. So I'll put that link in the show notes. But I'd just like to recommend, if you're an Alien fan and you own the box set Alien Quadrilogy DVD box set released in 2003, um, he's in the making of Alien and Aliens very prominently. And if you've never watched those, they're actually fascinating stories. Um, So I really recommend going there and finding out about his work. Um, Another thing that Ron Cobb's death highlights is, um, well, he died from complications and chewing from a form of dementia known as Lewy body dementia. Not too well known, um, but increasingly serious. And um, I'll post some notes, uh, some links in the show notes about places you can go to find out more about that and maybe to contribute to helping research into that. Um, so, R.I.P. Ron Cobb. Okay, so now that um, I've got that out of the way, I'm going to hand over to, um, well, Howard, 
and myself from two years ago. This review was recorded in 2018. Um, none of us who were present in the review had seen the 2018 Halloween film directed by David Gordon Green, which is just called Halloween, which will always confuse the hell out of us, make it difficult to talk about. Um, so we were we were leading through the whole Halloween franchise, running up to the release of Halloween 2018. So we didn't get to see that until we'd seen all the others and reviewed them. Um, so just to let you know, we're not going to be referring to that movie or to compare it in a meaningful way. Halloween 6 is a controversial and complicated movie existing in various versions. Originally it was announced as Halloween 666, the origin of Michael Myers, but eventually was released under the title Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. It's the first Halloween sequel not to have a number in it. Um, so... It's 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 a complicated story, folks, and it scrambles my brain a bit just thinking about it. So with that in mind, I'd better just hand over to the 2018 crew to deal with this movie, or rather movies, um, that we're going to talk about in detail. You're going to hear a little bit of the trailer from the movie, and then Howard will open up the discussion, and I'll be back, my, my 2020 self will be back at the end of the podcast with this week's range of recommendations for streaming entertainment. Do you know why we celebrate Halloween? A long, long time ago, it was a night of great power. When the days grew short, all across the land, huge bonfires were lit. Oh, there was a marvelous celebration. And they dressed up in costumes, hoping to ward off the evil spirits, especially the boogeyman. Hello everyone. Today we're going to be talking about Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, which came out in 1995. I am your co-host, Howie. And I am your co-host, Dan. And today we have the pleasure of being joined by two esteemed guests, Dan B. Hey there. Coming back for, I think, your sixth. Halloween. Uh, Sucker for punishment. (laughs) Sucker. (laughs) And a brand new guest, the wonderful Luke. Hello. Hello. Welcome, Luke. Um, I should warn the listener that there might be a little bit of background hubbub on this recording, as most of our recent episodes have been recorded in extremely salubrious drinking establishments. But it's late on a Saturday afternoon now, so this particular one is starting to become a bit noisy. We should probably just murder everyone, and then it'd be a lot quieter, I think. Mm. While dressed as Michael Myers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't think it hasn't occurred Mm. to me. (laughs) (laughs) God damn you, enjoying yourselves. (laughs) So, welcome, Luke. You've never been on this podcast before. No. Um, You are an actor, I believe. That's correct, yes. In fact, I think we should probably rename this podcast Actors on Halloween because Howard and I are actors and it's just wall-to-wall actors. I believe you're, you're in fact, a horror movie actor. Yeah. So you're quite close to the genre and what we're talking about. Yeah, so just recently um, I had two horror films that come out. So I did one that I shot uh, both last year called The Spawning, which was a throwback to 80s horror films like Hellraiser and Extra Lives. And um, yesterday I went to go see another film that I did four years ago called Redcon 1. And I had a scene in the film um, that wasn't in the final cut. Originally I was going to play a suicidal soldier. 
Um, but apparently they thought my suicide wasn't good enough. So they, <laughs> oh, they didn't tell you and you had no idea until you saw No, because it was the first film ever done and the scene originally when I was there, it was in the cold of November and I originally was going to play a zombie and then they said, actually no, can you play this? And it was a small role of a suicide of a soldier. And in the scene, there were going to be a scene where um, all the survivors come into this like military base, and then one of the soldiers, myself, gets infected, and I swing the gun around, or the soldier put the guns, I'm like, get back, get back, get back, and then suddenly at the end, I just shoot myself in the face. Right. <laughs> so I waited four years to watch my suicide, and it didn't come up in the final edit, and <sighs> I think everyone in the, in the film itself were a bit disappointed. Because all the zombies were there as well, all the extras were in the same theatre, and we were just all looking at each other like, yeah, this film is pretty bad. Oh. Not, not putting that on my TV. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, well. I might, I might wait for it to come onto the horror channel then. Yeah, <laughs> you'll see it there. It's one, it's one shudder. So, you're a bit of a fan of the genre then, Luke? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, because the horror genre has it's been one of, the, one of those franchises that always has an impact or an influence, not just in horror genre, but in modern day genre. If you look at Alfred Hitchcock, you know, people automatically say, it's horror, but it's not. It's, it's suspense, it's drama, it looks at psychology, and I think every film that's gone on through the last 50 years, both in the UK and America and Italian, everything has an idea and an influence, and each horror film is a reflection of you know, society, where it was in that time, or where it's a message from now and today. So. The, the things that frighten people, the things that worry people. The idea, yeah, the human fear and psychology of, you know, what's death, is there a thing of true horror, and, you know, like Michael Myers, it's something that just chases you and won't go away. Yeah. Uh, so that's the essence of the horror of Myers for you. Mm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you first um, discovered the Halloween franchise and uh, yeah, of course. Um, so I was quite young. So the first horror films I saw was like the early '90s ones. So like, well, later ones. So it's like Scream, and that was my first introduction into horror. Um, Jaws, Spielberg was right. horror. That that scarred me for life. <laughs> uh, yes, me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going in the swim. And many of the victims in the film. <laughs> and indeed um, for death. Yeah. But I think my introduction to um, the Halloween series was through H2O or okay. Halloween 20 years later. Mm -hmm. um, ah, the wettest of the. Uh, the wettest, yeah. <laughs> There's not a shot of water anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so that was my introduction and it was quite interesting because I had no knowledge of who Michael Myers was, who Laurie Strode was, what was, why is he chasing her and then, you know, there was something alluring about it so it was a film that just, you know, sticks in my mind and then I started going back and they showed, how they always show Halloween every Halloween mm -hmm. or before Halloween and unfortunately I was one of those kids that thought the Rob Zombie version was better but All right, okay. sorry everyone. <laughs> <laughs> shame, shame, shame. Um, wow. Your usage showing. <laughs> um, but no, I think if you look back at um, John Carpenter's Halloween, you can see how much that film not just brought life into a genre that was considered quite cheap, mm. but it just inspired like the idea of you know this immortal being who you know is the embodiment of pure evil, and. I just looked, and the more I looked into not just the filmmaking, but the backstory and its influences, you know, I, obviously it's the superior film, the John Carpenter compared to Rob Zombie's, let's just put the devil's mark here, there, everywhere, and be all grunge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? I haven't seen it, but I'm, I, I I will be watching it soon for this. Oh, you, you're, you're going to have fun, especially with the sequel. So are you saying that <laughs> of, all the, of all the things that scared us throughout history, grunge was one of the most scariest <laughs> I, think, I think Rob Zombie's grunge was a lot oh, scarier. Yeah, yeah, I don't know where he gets his I mean, personally, I th- I'm waiting for the, the horror film they're going to bring out that's like about bankruptcy and, oh, uh, and being kicked out of your house <laughs> for not paying your bills and the, the bailiffs come round. That, that would be the truest of all horror films, I think. <laughs> I thought that was The Purge. Pretty, pretty, yeah, that's pretty much, yeah, I guess, I guess. That's a very contemporary fear. Um, <laughs> so today we're talking about um, the sixth film in the Halloween franchise. Mm. Um, obviously, the, the listener will have heard me and Howie and Dan and other people talking about the films leading up, the previous films in the series. Mm. So, um, but could you just give us a quick summary, Luke, of, of kind of where you stood on the on the previous movies and uh, and which you enjoyed, which didn't, mm. which made an impact on you? Um, well, obviously, Cobb is first film will always be the top mark you know mm. it was the film that introduced the Myers it introduced like the final girl and obviously it brought new life into the slasher genre actually created the slasher song but fallen from Hitchcock um, the second one I was happy because it continued it was a continuation we're back with Laurie we learn more of Michael and why is he after Laurie Strode and we find out that the siblings and spoiler if you haven't seen them yes we've done lots of spoilers <laughs> in the series just making sure. Um, but yeah, and then suddenly the third film, and again, I think people were confused, like, wait, where's Michael? But I do appreciate the third film for what it was. It wanted to go somewhere else. You know, we looked at the theme of witches and warlocks. And I think if you have seen the film, you can't forget that scene where the boy's watching TV and his head slowly melting inwards and snakes and spiders are pouring out. It's a great scene. It's a great scene. I mean, that's that's what I think all kids are full of snakes. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's quite realistic. And <laughs> you get you get the songs to it. Three more days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Um, and then suddenly we go back to the fourth, where I think that was a panic from the obviously like the company who said, okay, number three didn't do well. Let's bring Michael back. Uh, we'll mix this whole story about the niece. And I think number four it. It came up with a strong idea. They obviously they continue to try something new. Obviously taking the influence of warlocks and witches from number three, but with number four, um, you know it's it's that thing of seeing an old friend, but they've come back with a new look, like a dye hair or a jacket or something. So it, you feel a bit confused. Right. Okay. Um, not that I've experienced that. I, I think that was kind of sums up kind of how we felt about it. Familiar, but not quite right. Yeah, of course. Think, yeah. Just like Dumb and Dumber Two. Just. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of the characters are right in that film. <laughs> no, it's not just, quite right. Just Jim Carrey on a breakdown, really. Um, no, but it was. And again, we have Doctor Lewis back, who's always saying, "You know, there's Michael. Michael's back. This is pure evil." and got like the continuing history of the Strode family and then in the fifth again Loomis comes back and is like I keep telling you Michael's come back and he's killing people and it, pretty much every film up <laughs> to six it's like it's I keep dialogue. telling you people he's still alive he's still killing people and now there's just people in black clothes I, I, think, by, I think by the sixth one I just didn't have to learn any dialogue <laughs> but it's interesting That's, to talk about the sixth film because uh, Donald Pleasance was actually fond of that script 
Yes, yeah. he he he's kind of um, on record from somewhere saying he thought it was the best script really? since the original film. I think it's interesting, Luke, that in in your um, summary, I think you skipped over five a bit there. Yeah. But, um, so so was there was there a reason for that? I was just I think with the fifth one, it was just I like oh come on, you know, it's just it, it's continuing, but you just think yeah, you you kind of drag this out a bit. Um, Wait, who's who's this man in black now? Wait, why did he take? Wait, what's going on? What? And then, obviously, you just you just think, okay, it can't be that bad. And then six comes along. <laughs> <laughs> mm, well, let's explore that. Yeah. So, um, Howard, hello. Maybe you should let us know. You remind us what the ending of, of five was that so um, enraptured. Uh, a man um, in fancy shoes, all dressed in black. <laughs> Uh, walks into a police station and kills Michael, everybody. Michael Jackson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist! Uh, uh, I would I would watch a Halloween mm. film where the antagonist was Michael Jackson. <laughs> uh, and they um, he presumably this mysterious person kidnaps Michael Myers or releases him from his cell and that's it, isn't it? So we jump forward six years and then we have the next movie in the series. Can you tell us what happens at the start of that movie? Uh, God, I don't know. So, well, <laughs> um, what does happen at the start of that film? So I, it's neat. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I can, I can, I'll, I'll help. Um, so the version I watch, I watch the producer's cut. Oh yes, it's yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, so, so it seems to be there seems to be a kind of uh, it's kind of a, an asylum or a mental health mm. place. Uh, there's a young girl kind of panicking. She's about to give birth. I think. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, she's about to give birth. Uh, and it's very kind of ominous and there's like thunder and lightning and all that uh, she gives birth um, and then there's a few I think the man in black's there does he yes yeah, paint, he does. does he paint he paints a symbol on the baby the, the, uh, with the, the blood the or? druid symbol yeah yeah that's it the druid symbol the, the thorn isn't it the thorn the, the, the rune of the, the rune thorn. of the thorn, the thorn. Um, so yeah and then uh, but then the, the nurse who delivered the baby has kind of second thoughts and tries to get the late the young lady who's given birth out of the hospital with the baby to save the baby, uh, but lo and behold, somebody comes for them. Mm. <laughs> Who could that be? Who could that be? Indeed. <laughs> so, yes. what you've just described is we do have straight at the beginning of Halloween Six a link to the weird ending of Halloween Four mm. because you do see those pretty shoes again, mm. although you still don't see the face of the person wearing them. No. Um, I think just before we kind of go on with more detailed analysis of the film, I should sketch in the kind of production background of this movie. Mm. Um, as we had it, um, discussed in the previous episode of the podcast, Halloween 5 didn't maybe do as well as... No. They hoped it certainly didn't do as well as 4. Um, in Britain, it went straight to video. Um, and also, there were some legal complications with the studio, I think, the, who, whoever owned the rights at the time. I, had, I don't know who they passed to passed from... But the rights to Halloween ended up with Dimension Films, who were Miramax's kind of horror subsidiary, the people who made the Scream films mm-hmm. and Mimic. And basically, they were my favourite studio in the 90s. I remember my friends at university would joke that I would be the first in line at the new Dimension film. <laughs> <laughs> um, and once Dimension got their hands on it, they were able to kind of green light a new Halloween film. I realised recently that. Another series which stopped in 1989 because of legal complications with the studio it took six years and finally came back in 1995 was the James Bond films. <laughs> <laughs> Same situation. Um, so that, that was quite weird. But um, 
but so, Hall- Halloween 6 didn't have an amazing video game to go along with it <laughs> <laughs> Halloween 6 D4 <laughs> um, just running around Russia stabbing people <laughs> um, uh, so when the movie finally got made I believe that um, a bit like GoldenEye mm-hmm. they'd, they'd spent years where they couldn't really start making the movie but they could start writing mm-hmm. things and I think they'd engaged this guy Daniel Ferranzi who's an up and coming writer mm-hmm. and he was also a big fan of the Halloween series he'd seen all the movies he knew them really well and he was quite prepared to write a script which picked up all the loose ends from the previous movies and, and put them together into one film and made it all make sense and that was his aim and Mustafa Akat seemed to like this approach so that was the movie that they, they went towards making but by the time they got to make it Donald Pleasance was quite a lot older mm. um, six years had passed so the character of Jamie Lloyd was no longer a little girl mm. um, this led to legal complications because Danielle Harris wanted to still play the part, but she mm. was technically legally too young, mm-hmm. um, and she had to um, go through a, a process of emancipation um, to get a, like a court order to state that she was um, compass mentis, I guess, An to, adult. to play a more yeah. adult role in mm. the film. Mm. Um, but once she'd done that, she discovered that because Jamie's role in this script is significantly reduced, she'd actually get paid less money to do it than she'd already spent going to court. <laughs> so, um, and getting no support on this from the studio, she walked away from the production and um, Jamie is recast with an actress called JC Brandy, who is the, the young woman who we see screaming mm. and in labour in the opening scenes of the movie. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's a strange one because um, it picks up the story threads, but already, like, instantly there's visual um, uh, distance from the previous movies. Jamie doesn't look like Jamie. Uh, we talked in the previous movie about every Halloween film at this point had a kind of signature pumpkin title sequence. Yeah. This movie doesn't have that. Just kind of has very functional flash on black screen yellow writing credits, mm. um, and also I think we should point out that the I mean I know this has been hinted at already, and some of the listeners may know, but for anyone who doesn't, there are two versions of this movie. Mm. Um, does anybody know the story behind the two versions that exist? Please tell us. Yes. <laughs> you tell us. I happily do so, um, as I've been investigating this. So. Daniel Franz wrote the script, most of the first draft of which I've read, and it's quite similar to what they shot. Um, but when they test screened it for teenage audiences, they hated it, and many things about it, especially the ending. Mm. So it was sent back to be reshot and rewritten extensively. Unfortunately, Donald Pleasance had died. He died not long after the, the completion of the original shoot. So they had to write new scenes and restructure the film without his character um, and come up with a new ending and things. And the result is arguably, um, it's, it's very different, it's, quite, it's possibly quite nonsensical. The producer's cut, the original cut became known as the producer's cut. And it was suppressed for a few years, but um, quite recently it's been released on, on a Blu-ray. So people have seen it now. Mm. Um, and you can compare the two versions. And I'll, I think I'm the only person here who's recently seen... Oh, no, I think you've seen both versions. I've, yeah, I've seen both versions, and they are completely different. I mean, you can obviously tell one was 
the like the reshots they made were just made out of pure panic and worry of like the audience hate we need to reshoot we need to make sure our money is safe um, from the studio and what's really upsetting about both the producers cut and the the new reshots is and you can tell which is which because as I said before um, Michael Myers goes from this big bulky presence in the reshoots he's a skinny skinny guy that's true Um, as we mentioned this in the Halloween 4 podcast they brought back the actor who played him in Halloween 4 Mm -hmm. George P. Wilbur but whereas in Halloween 4 Myers or the shape started being played by someone else and then that guy was fired and they replaced him with George P. Wilbur in this movie they started with George P. Wilbur (laughs) but then for the reshoots I think it's not that he wasn't available, they deliberately chose to cast a different person mm. because it's in one of the reshot scenes, Wilbur appears in the scene but not as the shape. He plays a scientist who is killed by the shape. <laughs> so he was obviously around and they just for yeah. some reason deliberately went, we want him to be a different shape mm-hmm. in, in multiple senses of the phrase. <laughs> so um, that's, that's a weird one. Sorry, so just to get... A, Give a bit of background for that. Please continue, Luke. Yeah, so in the original uh, producer's cut, obviously, um, they're, they're escaping from Michael, and then, uh, what's the name of Paul Rudd's character? Uh, he's Tommy Doyle. He's the little boy from... Oh, he's the, the boy, yeah. He's, he, I like the idea that he's, you know, it's the boy from the first film, and he's, he's had this, like, fascination with Michael Myers, as if he knows Michael was going to come back. And... Um, yeah, so he, he throws the stones on the ground, um, and then Michael stops, and he look and he does the look the Paul Rudd like <laughs> I got you, and obviously uh, Donald Pleasance coming, Doctor Loomis comes in the elevator, he saves the girl and the baby, and he says, "You go ahead, I'll I'll deal with this." And then in the and in the producer cut, he goes over to his friend, um, he says like. He sees Michael on the ground, and he thinks, you know, we've I've got him, I've got Michael, and it turns out it's the Man in Black, mm. and and in a in a twist, um, you see a dark shadow who you believe is Michael walking down this long hall, and Doctor Lewis pulls back his sleeve, and he now has the mark of the fall yeah. on his arm, and the idea was that now he, that Doctor Lewis is now immortal, and he's going to be the next killer, and Michael just. Looks at him, shrugs, and walks off. I no, I thought it was different. I thought he was going to be the new kind of caretaker of Michael. Like he was going to be the man in black from now on, and just you know, kind of facilitate Michael, look after Michael, make sure he can bring back Halloween or mm. how, whatever their plan was. That's that's how I read it. But well, that's what it says on IMDb or something. Oh, I, couldn't know, I didn't know what the hell was going on, so I looked yeah. it up. I read it on yeah. Wikipedia or something. Uh, and that was yeah, that was the idea that um, the guy Mitchell Ryan is. Yeah, I think yeah. So. yeah. He's passed something on, and now Doctor Loomis has to be the protector of yeah. Michael and has to sort of okay. defend mm. him. That, that's not what I read. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I have no idea. Their, their intention could have been the same. I, I, yeah. I, I was. I, I was. I think because again, I was feeling like, wait a minute, that Mark mm. means wait a minute. He's yeah. Wait, what is he now, Michael? Because the Michael has the same. Because the Michael has the same mark yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. Go into detail. And that mark was introduced in Halloween Five. Yeah. You see that mark on him, and, and Daniel Franz picked up on that and chose to use that as the focus for his yeah. script. So, um, Howard, I think I'm right in thinking you you've only seen one version. I've only seen one version. I've seen the new ending on YouTube, and I've seen a few of the of the producers' cut bits on YouTube. Mm. 
Uh, certainly, the ending in the kind of like the official version is yeah. completely incoherent. <laughs> Donald Pleasant just says, "I've got to go back in and do something." <laughs> <laughs> and then, but the, the next, then there's a scream, and then there's a mask on the floor, and that's and that's it. It cuts, yeah. it cuts to a house, doesn't it? At the end, yeah, yes, yeah, so the yes, house because it has the pumpkin on the ledge, and that's yeah. the image. Well, I think the producers cut does that as well. Mm. You, they still have the house because they they obviously want to end the film on the pumpkin image. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that scream that you hear at the end of the producer's cut is the scream that Donald Pleasance makes. Sorry, in the produce, the scream that you hear at the end of the theatrical cut yes, is the one that he makes when he finds the room. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that scene where he sort of puts a line. Sort of yeah. Trademark. No. 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 He's very good at that. Donald Pleasance is very good at this. <laughs> Saying no. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, how, Luke? How would you sum up? Can you sum up in a, in a pithy way what you would see as the difference between the two versions? Um, I think with the produced version, they they wanted to continue, obviously, the whole Druid Mark, the Fawn, and you know how that twist that now um, from which aspect you look at if you know Dr. Loomis has become the new killer or he's now the caretaker of Michael it would have been they obviously wanted to go somewhere with that direction because now Michael Myers you know is, is free again and whether Loomis is has to be like no Michael kill this man but keep this one alive you know <laughs> just in the next sequel <laughs> How in Seven Directions by Dr. Loomis <laughs> again, to be fair I think that could have been quite an interesting if they did produce a sequel that was following on from the producers cut, I think that could have been quite yeah, interesting. Kind of that really does shake things up. It would have forced them to do something very, very different. Yeah, and I think that might have been interesting. There could have been a quite unique movie with that, and you know, it could be more about Loomis and his, you know, kind of conflict between his having to, he's being forced to do this by this, you know, a presence or something. Or does he? Or does it? Is it? Does it change his mind? Does it brainwashing? And that idea, like, can you control yeah. something that you've hunted all yeah. your life, and then is there a greater it? good by doing this much evil? You know, that that could have brought something new to the table. Mm-hmm. Yes, although perhaps you wouldn't want to base it on the presence of a eighty-something. No, true. true. <laughs> you would. You would probably have had to recast huh. because he's not. No, would be no longer alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they'd gone with the producer's cut, I think that mm-hmm. would have probably been. Uh, where they would go with it but it could have been interesting but I think I said in the last podcast I think this is <clears throat> excuse me world building where you don't really need to world build right yeah you know adding all this I mean I quite like the druid aspect quite like the the kind of bringing back of Halloween it's very reminiscent of Halloween 3 mm-hmm. so I do kind of like and I kind of like the links and the kind of supernatural element and the cult and I think it's clear from the script um to a certain extent from the final movie that mm-hmm. Daniel Ferrans was obviously a great fan of the series and was trying to bring together yeah. as many elements yeah. as you could you get the Strode family yeah. you have the name Strode again um, you have you, previous characters mm-hmm. coming back yeah Tommy from yeah. the first film yeah. you get the, the runic themes which connect to Halloween 3 as well so even that you know he didn't have to include any of that stuff no. because it's a different universe but yeah. he, he tries to get that in there he obviously brings the Man in Black stuff back from five, and he tries to do something with it. And he does something with the character of Jamie. Mm. There's, um, I think it's it's very sincere and kind of imaginative yeah. effort that he makes. But I'm, I'm just, and, I, and having read the script, you mm. know, I think the script is written with a certain amount of enthusiasm and creativity. Mm. 
I'm just not convinced it's any good though. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, watching it again recently for this, because I, I used to say this was my least favourite, I thought this was the worst one. But actually watching it again, I thought, no, there are some interesting things going on in here. Yeah. <laughs> There's some things I really don't like. I. Like I say, I didn't like Rachel being killed off in the previous one. I certainly don't like Jamie yeah. being killed off yeah. in this one. I think that's horrible, and she deserves. She survived two films, so yeah. she's, you know that should give you like permit to live. You know, yeah, exactly. that. yeah. that's it. You've, you've earned it. You've earned your right. You to, get. You've got. You get out of yeah, jail yeah, free yeah, card, yeah. and then yeah. Bane comes up and says, "No, you have my permission <laughs> to die." I didn't like it, but it seemed to continue a tradition which had started in the previous one where you kill off a character from the previous film in the first 15-20 minutes yeah. of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they killed off Rachel in Halloween 5, so it's almost as if we've got to kill off somebody yeah. in this mm-hmm. one. And then they kill off somebody in Halloween H2O, and they kill off somebody in... Well, I mean, and to be fair, that is not... A, although it was a new tradition for the Halloween films, I think it's ancient in terms of... Well, no, no, well, I mean, no, in sequels. Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. I haven't a seen it. I haven't seen it, but I believe like at the start of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Yes, you do. Survivor yeah. from Part One. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think um, another one as well does that. I think it was another sequel does that as well. Didn't it? They did it in um, the Final Destination, where the female protagonist of the first yeah. film was like the mentor in. Final Destination Two. Oh yeah, I remember. and she's yeah. like, she's, she's locked. Her, she's got locked herself in. A she's locked in. She yeah. keep herself safe. And then at the end, yeah. So she and then she dies. Yeah. Second, she leaves the asylum. So <laughs> <laughs> should have been staying there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stupid woman. It's not your turn. <laughs> Oh. So in a way, I'm glad that Daniel Harris didn't come back because I wouldn't like to see her. Because if it's, if it's her doing it, then it it's even more. It's more disturbing. Directly linked to the previous film. You are seeing that little girl. It's also, it's also more disturbing. Yeah. Because it's her uncle mm. that's got her pregnant. Oh, oh. okay, let's stop. Is let's that stop. Uh, Isn't it that? Yeah, it's correct. But let's, let's go, let's get to that. Okay, okay. so. Um, I'll just pick up on that point. I am aware of that kind of cliche within slasher movies mm. to the extent that I was really annoyed when Scream 3 did it because Scream 3 starts with one of the survivors from Scream 2 being killed and I yeah. thought this is a movie that is parodying 20 Cliches. years of slasher they should not do this yeah. you know they yeah. should be yeah. smarter than this um, to give credit to Daniel Ferranzi's script in the script she doesn't die oh, right. at least not straight away no um, she is found dying and taken to hospital and she survives throughout quite a lot of the film mm. but she does die eventually um, and uh, and I think in the theatrical version of the film, they decide to kill her off flat in a very, very graphic way, and she's yeah. shoved onto that combined harvester thing. Yeah. In the movie, she's just stabbed, and she survives the stabbing, but she's later shot. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's how I, I That's the producer's coming to that. So, yes, and so we're having discussions about multiple versions. This is a really interesting film to talk about in the sense that I don't know where to start yeah, so many exactly. parallel universes the script is one thing the, the theatrical version is another thing the British cut is another thing every version starts with a different monologue mm-hmm. so I think this is maybe a good point to reference this the producer's cut has a speech over the opening titles delivered by Donald Pleasance mm-hmm. in the theatrical version there's a slightly rewritten version of that delivered by Paul Rudd um, the original script doesn't it doesn't specify a speech, but the first page has um, 
a, a kind of notation from the journal of Dr. Samuel Loomis, and the kind of Donald, Donald Pleasant speech is clearly kind of based on this, but it's not quite the same. Would someone like to read a page from the journal of Dr. Samuel Loomis? I, I'd like to hand over to Luke, as he's mm. the, the newest special guest. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. wow. No we've, pressure. We've, 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 we've done we've, the real kind of things. So we have recast time. Loomis. That's mm. the one yeah. step the franchise had never quite That's taken. Okay. We, didn't get, and we didn't get Malcolm McDowell, so we'll just get me instead. <laughs> okay. When Michael Myers was six years old, he stabbed his sister to death. For years he was locked up, locked away, in Smith's Grove Sanitarium. But he escaped, and suddenly, Halloween became another word for mayhem. One by one, he stalked and killed his entire family, until his nine-year-old niece, Jamie Lloyd, was the only one left alive. Six years ago, on Halloween night, Michael and Jamie vanished. Many people believed them dead, but I think someone hid them away. Someone who keeps Michael, protects him, tries to control him, and there's one thing I know, you can't control evil. You can lock it up and burn it and bear it away and pray that it dies, but it never will. It just rests a while. You can lock your doors and say your prayers at night, but the evil is out there, waiting. And maybe, just maybe, it's closer than you think. From the journal of Dr. Samuel Lewis. Thank you very much, Luke. Very nice. So that's on the very first page of the script. It's not specified as an actual speech. It's mm. just kind of put there as a kind of mood setter. But imagine that the movie begins with that speech. You go to see a movie and you hear that. Is that gripping you? How do you feel about going into that movie? It does feel a bit like it's saying, if you haven't seen the last film, let me catch you up. But yes. it's from a trustworthy narrator. <laughs> it's not. It's not as. It's not as ham-fisted as Halloween Four. The the speeches in that. From no, the, from the cop. Um, the exposition speech. But that, to be fair, that, that could mm. be, again, kind of any kind of slasher movie. Yeah, it still seems a bit generic. Yeah, yeah, a bit sort of bland. Mm. Does I think when it came to the version that they actually recorded, um, both versions for both versions of the film. There's a little bit more in it about he had to kill his family. That was the whole point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the, Don, the Loomis one definitely says he had to kill his entire family. That's the whole point. Yeah. And obviously, this is the writer picking up the idea that Michael Myers has played his relatives throughout the series and killed them successively. Mm. And he's decided to write. So, therefore, logically, he's got to kill his whole... He's trying to kill yeah, off his yeah. whole family. What can we make of that? But he doesn't... That contradicts the first film. He doesn't kill his entire family. He could kill... When he comes out of the house after he killed his sister, why doesn't he kill his mum and dad if he's got to kill his entire family? Yes, that is a problem. Also, the, the, the writer has taken that as a starting point mm. and built this idea that he's, there's this cult who are encouraging Michael to kill his family. But he... And, and when you... For a second, it makes sense of yeah. the previous films. But mm. when you think about it for a moment, yeah. it falls a bit like you just have. Also, there's something in this film about, oh, he also regards anyone who lives in his house as his family, so he <laughs> wants to kill them as well. <laughs> but then there's also people that have never lived in his house yeah. that he also murders for no particular reason. Yeah. 
What if you were like a house salesman? You just walked in there and Michael was there. <laughs> just like, you'd, you'd, you'd be dead straight away. So uh, here's the bathroom and here is a murderous killer. Um, yep, how much would you like to offer? Although weirdly, that would justify the action that um, we later see in Halloween Resurrection. Mm. But as that movie takes place in a different universe from yeah. this movie, <laughs> that doesn't even Actually, there is, a, there is a scene like that uh, in The Stepfather. Have you seen that? I've never seen The Stepfather. Stepfather's got uh, Terry O'Quinn's in it. And it's he's great like, Terry O'Quinn. It's, he's brilliant in it. It's, it's worth just watching the film for his performance. Mm. Uh, and this, he's, uh, I think he's, his job is he's, uh, um, what do you call it, um, all the people who's bloody estate agent, estate agent, and he's like he's showing somebody around. It turns out to be the psychologist of his daughter, uh, and then he's like, "Wait a minute, who are you?" And he's basically investigating and seeing if he's got any screws loose. And then he turns around and beats him to death with a two by four. Well, I would I would highly recommend it. It's a great pretty standard film. estate agent <laughs> behaviour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, well, I think I do. I do honestly think there is a special place in hell reserved for estate agents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just my personal oh. opinion. Uh, they've certainly caused a lot of trouble in horror films. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, amateur though. Most people's <laughs> real lives as well. Just like this house. This house is haunted with thousand corpses in the walls, <laughs> but you'll be fine. Well, in fact, one of the characters in this movie is an estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that comes in, doesn't it? Um, so then, so yeah, so we've got this introduction of this plot, and by the way, I think the best thing that we can do is to kind of roughly go through the narrative of, of the movie, yeah. and we'll point out the points at which it goes Dissects, different ways in yeah. different versions, mm. um, and, 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 and also different ways in the script. Mm. So yeah, so we've got this sequence with this cult, mm. who, who seem to li- live in some kind of underground base. Mm. Interestingly, in the script, it's like caves... Because when Jamie escapes, she comes out and she's in, in Moorland or something. Yeah. But in the movie, probably because it was just an easier location to get, it's some kind of factory, it looks like an abandoned yeah. factory that yeah. she gets out of. Um, and she gives birth to the baby, this, the man in black walks in, you see the shoes, you don't see the face, so that links it to the previous film. They take the baby, but then the midwife comes and brings her the baby mm. and says, you must get out of here and take your baby. Um, I love the character of the midwife because she's so terrible. Um, I don't know what you guys have noticed. She's she's called Mary um, in the script, and I can't, I'm I'm sorry, I can't remember the actress's name, but I just remembered. I just in both versions, I was just watching it, thinking, "What's wrong with what she's doing?" <laughs> and um, I think I worked out that she's dubbed. Right. And the reason she's dubbed is because. I think, I don't think the actress could take it at all seriously. <laughs> I think you can see that she's dying to laugh at multiple points. So she's been dubbed by somebody else. Who delivers every line like this? So she's about to cry. Mm-hmm. So it kind of justifies the kind of smirk appearing on her face. Right. <laughs> but it just it doesn't work. And then, um, so there's a bit where she takes Jamie to a corridor. Weirdly on... on helping Jamie to escape from this place, she does not then actually help Jamie to actually escape. No. She just takes it to a corridor and then goes, it's that way. <laughs> um, You'll find your way out of this labyrinth. And then she goes, save your baby, go! Uh, while laughing. <laughs> um, 
Um, Jamie runs <laughs> off and Michael Myers appears, picks up Mary and shoves her onto a spike on the wall. Oh. And that's what he actually says in the script. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he picked her up and, and smashes her head against a spike that's on the wall. I've always watched the film thinking, why is there a spike? <laughs> if it was like a hanger or something, that would make yeah. sense. Or... I, I think that there's a slight um, suggestion from the production design. If you look, there's another spike at the same point a bit further down the wall. And I wonder if they're like lantern holders yeah, or something. something like that. But in the script, it literally just spike. says there's a spike on the wall. And he picks her up and smashes her head against a spike and she's left there stuck with the spike mm. and the camera kind of pulls back and Michael looks at her corpse and does the head tilt thing that he always does now yeah. whenever mm. he's killed anyone and she has obviously been instructed by the director to do a little bit of death throw spasming but she can't really be bothered and she sort of wiggles her toes a bit. And I don't blame her at all, right? Because this was a terrible couple of days' work for her. You know? She basically had to stand between Jamie, uh, JC Brandy's sweaty legs for most of probably the first day, and the second day get stuck on a spike. It was probably not the best day of her life. She was not being paid a lot of money. I don't blame her, but... She's pretty terrible, and uh, and she sums up that I, d- I don't know if it was the production schedule or maybe the director just isn't very talented, but I don't think there are great, there's great work from any of the small part actors in no. this movie. Um, did anybody else notice that? I didn't. I, I didn't. I, I wasn't. I didn't particularly notice it before. No. I didn't notice it being bad or no. good. I just. Okay. I did watch. I had. I had. When I watched that, I had watched two previous Halloween films back to back, so I probably wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't interested in the minutiae of right. particular opening I think scene. I, when I was watching those scenes, even watching it again, I wasn't thinking about the acting. I was thinking, what is going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is happening here? Oh, no. It's, it's a lot of kind of like... Uh, it's, like, it's, like it's like the 90s thing they did in editing where it's just like jump flash, jump flash. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like just... All that quick editing, yeah. Especially in the theatrical cut, because yeah. they yeah, added exactly. a lot of that to try and make it less boring. And to be honest... Having watched the theatrical cut and the producer's cut close together, mm. I think the theatrical cut is less boring. Yeah. It's weird that the producer's cut kind of makes more sense, mm. but also brings up more questions. Yeah. So, in a way, the decision that they made, which is just make it as fast as possible with regular violence mm. and get it over with and get them out of there, yeah. to, me, to me, I can see why they made that decision. And I remember in the in the producer's cut, the I know that you were talking. We were talking earlier about the ending being a bit slow, not very interesting in teenage audiences, or like meh. And kind, it's a very kind of esoteric. Yeah, it's kind of it's a bit obscure and a bit kind of well, just you're like it's very open ended kind of ending, and it's yeah, it's not very the (laughs) I've drawn something on the ground, so that'll stop any murderous killers. Stop them dead in their tracks. I've stopped him. Great. I can see. I can see why. I'm not seeing the theatrical ending, so I don't know. But I can see why they went. Yeah, maybe we need a bit more of a bombastic ending for that because it was a bit like, oh, oh right, oh, all right. Like, and I, I, I was imagining the to be like they had more of a special effects budget. Possibly they'd be like more kind of magical kind of I don't know stuff or energy mm-hmm. or something. But yeah, it was a bit like, got ya. 
kind of like drew something on the ground. Got you. Threw down some pebbles. Yeah, that's it. Just draw symbol yeah. and be like, oh, done. I like, but I do, I do, I do like the cult stuff. I like the magic. I like the runes. I like all that stuff. But and I like the explanation of it and things. And I think it's an interesting way to go. But it doesn't. It isn't very exciting. Well, I like I said before, the more you know about Michael Myers, the less interesting he is and the yeah. less scary he is. Yeah. And trying to give him some kind of motivation, saying it's all to do with the Druids, whatever, yeah. and he's got to kill his family. That might be interesting in another film. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But yeah, in yeah. a Michael Myers film, it's yeah. just... You don't need it. The thing that made the first film so successful, where you don't know yeah. why he's doing it and what he's doing, inevitably, yeah. in every sequel, that has to go. You yeah. have to give him, you have to yeah. find out more about him, because that's what happens in sequels. Yeah. But... At the same time, the more you know about him, the less frightening and the yeah. less interesting and the less intriguing it's he is. But, I mean, this is the problem with sequels. There's yeah. no way around that. No. If you're going to make sequels of Michael Myers, you're going to have to find out more about him in every film. You're going to have to find out and yeah. give him reasons why I he's agree. doing it. You I can't agree. keep just having him as this um, sort of mysterious shape in every film because that would get boring. Yeah. So you have to find out more about him. Yeah. But at the same time, the more you find out about him, the less... So so I think every sequel, every sequel goes two ways, doesn't it? It mm. goes further into the past, more of understanding yeah. of the characters, but it also progresses the you know mm-hmm. story-wise linearly that other way. But yeah, again, it's kind of world building. We did it is really it is building it. It's explaining things it. that don't need to be explained, but people making the films feel yeah. they have to explain them. I mean, in, I go back to comic books a lot. I know, but um, in in comics they do kind of these. Uh, retroactive continuities, retcons, if you will, and basically they will tie. They'll have like a weird tangent, you know, where a character goes into space or something like that. But then they'll get, we'll get like a story, and they'll kind of tie it all together in, in a very clever and smart way. They'll kind of cherry pick, and I think that's what they've tried to do with this movie. Yes, yeah. I mean, and I think um, again in Daniel Ferranza's defence. And by the way, I don't know what Daniel Ferranza is doing now. Um, I'd really have liked well, I hope he's happy. Right? I think he's whittling. <laughs> <laughs> just having a good whittle. Um, but I, I think he knows what you're saying, Howard. I think he's mm-hmm. aware because the way his script works is that it explains Michael Myers, but doesn't. It explains that he's controlled by this group of other people, yeah. but he himself kind of remains an enigma. Yeah. Um, at least to the viewer. Hmm. From having read the script and seen both versions of the film, I still have no kind of real explanation of how the relationship between Michael and the covered began. Yeah. Um, there is obviously the link that we, the leader of the coven, is yeah. also the guy who ran the hospital. Well, this, this to me is the most implausible thing in the whole film. Is and I didn't realise it the first time. I only realised this reading about this on Wikipedia. Right. Just trying to find out what the hell's going on. Is that. The guy, the bad guy in this film, Dr. Wynn, the man yeah. who wears the fancy shoes, yeah. is the man with the funny walk in the first film who comes out and says, for God's sake, Sarah Kenning, and drive a car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's in like yeah. one brief scene. Yeah. And somehow, yeah. after 17 years, you're yeah. supposed to remember yeah. that character yes. yeah. from oh, film, so even though it's played by a different actor in this and a more well-known actor, I would say. In yeah. this yeah. Ryan's same, same, with, same with Paul Rudd's character well, yeah. in the first one. But I think that's quite nice, the kind of... Uh, the cyclical nature of it but yes I do believe but yeah, yeah, should, no, it should I have mean, been earlier trying to make those connections yeah. but he is such a minor character yeah. that how can anybody oh, it didn't occur to me yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's got a funny he's got a funny yeah. well, leg walk too, for me it's too little too late. funny trousers I th- yeah. the actor who played that character in Halloween was called Robert Phelan mm. um, he is also in John Carpenter's uh, Starman 
Okay. Um, I don't know if they even thought to approach him. I'm sure, well, no, yeah. I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure yeah. they wanted a name for that. Yeah. Um, the Let's Daniel get the guy from Lethal Weapon. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, apparently, <laughs> the, they got Mitchell Ryan because he'd been the villain in Lethal Weapon. He, so he had something like the stature they were after. Mm-hmm. Daniel Ferrans wanted Christopher Lee to play the part. And having Lee and Donald Pleasance in one movie together I would have been kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. But it would have also been horribly depressing that that was the movie in which it happened. Yeah. 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 Um, and at, at that time in his career, I don't think Lee would never have done it. Um, weirdly, Peter Cushing was still alive. Oh no, he just died, hadn't he? He died in 94. So yes, he, he just died. Yeah. Um, the weird thing about Dr. Wynn, yeah, he's a character from the original film. Um, and if you, if you know that, I guess it adds something. But I don't think you need to know that. Because it's kind of explained who yeah. he is in this film. Yeah, but then why make but, the connection at all then? Oh yeah, no, exactly. But mm. also, I think the other thing which is also a weakness, which you get in a lot of murder mystery type stuff, is why is he even there? Yeah, yeah. Because he's the villain, and he's yeah, going to be exactly, revealed yeah. as the villain because he just turns up. Yeah, he goes, and, hey, you know, I, I, hey, I want you to take over. He's like, I'm retired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Finally, the worst psychiatrist in the world finally <laughs> took someone's advice yeah. and retired. Instead of calling his patients evil and trying to kill them or imprison them, uh, instead of treating them like a normal psychiatrist, he went, you know what, I, I think it's about time after all these murders I think I'll, and all these beatings. I chased them around. And a, and and a fried egg, egg on my face. So, you know, he literally had egg on his face. Uh, <laughs> and then he just goes... Was he still getting paid? I've got no idea. Because he, he, can't he wasn't be, a psychiatrist, wasn't he? Wasn't he was doing his, he wasn't doing his job. job. Yeah, so he's so, been, And he's like, oh, I've retired. He wasn't a psychiatrist. He'd already, he probably yeah. was fired and then just carried on this crusade. And then he's like, oh no, I've just retired now. He's probably like that yeah. homeless man who runs around the street showing, Michael is still around. Yeah. You're doomed, you're doomed. <laughs> just waiting. But I think he was just, he must have found time to write some monographs or something. Because <laughs> he's got to have royalties going. Well, he's got some money. He lives in a nice house. Yeah, yeah um, I tell you what. That this the first scene in the movie where you see Doctor Loomis and Doctor Wynn, played by Mitchell Ryan, comes round unexpectedly to have a drink with him. That's possibly my favourite scene in the film hmm. because both actors do look comfortable. Hmm. Donald Pleasance looks genuinely happy. Yeah, I think Donald Pleasance at peace. He's at peace. Yeah, surprised how energetic he's, he's let go of everything. And you know, and then it all starts up again, and you know that's mm. that's it. The, the, the moment where Doctor Wynn says, "I nearly, I couldn't find the house. It was so difficult to actually get here." And um, Loomis goes, "That's the beauty of the countryside. <laughs> I thrive on it." And he and he just looks it's so warm. Yeah, you know, and um, you just want him to be able to stay in that position. Yeah. You don't yeah. want a, a bad horror movie to happen around him. I said, the, the bit the bit I'm not entirely sold on is where he's like, I need you to take over my asylum. Mm. I'm retiring. Donald Pleasance, like we said, heavily ill, very old. Mm. He is not in the right place <laughs> to take over an asylum. Like, Severely burned. You could I honestly think you could have you could have written in you could have written in well, you didn't even have to write that in. You could just say, to him, I just thought I'd come and visit. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm dealing with Michael. I could do, use your expertise. Gets the phone call. Oh, Michael's gone again, or Michael's turned up, or something. Get all the files on Michael Myers, or what, whatever happened. I can't remember exactly what happens, mm. but you get, I'm sure he gets a phone call while you're yeah. yeah. I, you didn't. You don't need friends because I don't. I just don't believe it. I don't no, believe that they would. I think that's in the script for two reasons. One, it's well, mainly 
Uh, actually, no, I think that's in the script for one reason, mm. to set up um, or foreshadow the development later where we want him to take over yeah. the cult. Yeah. yeah, of course. But even if he wants him to take over the cult rather than the hospital, mm. he's still too old. Yeah, he's way too old. They still shouldn't film that. Also, I should, I should say that in the script, but not in either version of the film, there is yeah. one line that Wynn says, which basically hints that he's got a terminal illness. Right. Mm. And that's why he's retiring. It's not because he wins right. too old. Okay. I see. He, he's dying and he needs someone good to take over. So it's right. not like... Because it, it would be insane to go, uh, I'm retiring due yeah. to old age, yeah. therefore I need to get someone else even yeah. older to <laughs> take over. But I just, I just would, have, would have been helpful if Dr. Wynn had said, hey Sam, remember me, I'm the one that said Michael couldn't drive a car. <laughs> 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 just so you know who I am. Just so you know. Yeah, know. After all these years, but he's, I've changed. You know. <laughs> I believe he can drive him. a car. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it also sp- speaks to... The, the kind of skewed priorities of the production that um, the script is like doing its utmost even in, in a very wrong-headed or not quite thought through kind of way to link to the other Halloween films by bringing back characters and yeah. things like that then, and the movie faith, faithfully sticks to the script but mm. then doesn't get the right actors for whatever yeah, reason yeah. I mean apparently they did try and find the actor who originally played Tommy in the yeah. 1978 film yeah. um, but he wasn't an actor anymore and he yeah. didn't have an agent so they couldn't trace him well, originally it was going to be called um, Halloween 666, the origin of Michael Myers. Yes, that's right. It's called Halloween 666 on the script. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I didn't know they made that many versions. <laughs> <laughs> God, you haven't got to watch 666. <laughs> um, and I think there is a trailer which has that. Mm. Yeah, we had this original teaser trailer um, yeah. said, you know, Halloween 666, Michael Myers. Yeah. Every legend is based on fact. Every myth is grounded in truth. For 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois has been haunted by a night when evil roamed the streets and a madman ruled the night. Everyone knows his name. Now, everyone will know the truth. I knew what he was, but I never knew why. Halloween 6, the origin of Michael Myers. You said they didn't get the original actor from 78. To play Tommy, to play Tommy. Or, or to play Dr. Wynn or any yeah. or, or any they, didn't get the, yeah. they didn't get the original um, Jamie. Yeah. They didn't the only actor in the film who's been in a previous Halloween oh, film is Donald Pleasant. Yeah. Mm. So they can't do without him. Mm. Yeah, well, well they're gonna have to find a way next time we're talking <laughs> about this. Um, I guess that's your main plot of the movie yeah. is there's a cult <laughs> controlling this guy and they need someone else to take over now this is confusing as well the whole take, <laughs> the whole taking over thing right because um, there's a young boy in it oh, yeah. from the Strode family I can't remember his name I'm going to say Danny Bill. Danny well, yeah. I should remember that <laughs> um, so there's this little boy and, and every so often he hears these words these um, controlling words this 
kill for him, Danny. Yeah. Kill for him. Uh, and it's kind of setting up that he would take over as a kind of Michael-like character or something like that. However, they want the baby as well to pass the evil on to... Why do they want the baby? Why do they want the baby? Is he supposed to be the next Michael? Or is it Danny? The the use of the baby never makes sense because if the plot is predicated on Michael has to kill his his whole family, why doesn't he want to kill the baby? Yeah. Mm. Why do they want the baby? What would they do with it? I, I mean, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't she say she's in the producer's cut? She's kind of the strode woman is kind of strapped to a stone and was about to be sacrificed. And doesn't she say, "Oh, it's your baby. You don't want to kill your baby." Doesn't she say something like that I, on the lines? I think. I, I think there are people who have read in the producer's cut. Right specific bits which suggest that the baby is, is supposed his. to be Michael's right. baby. Yeah. So it's not, it's, it's, not expl- it's not explicit that no. it's his. Okay. But, um, so I swear that's what she's, she I said. Think, I think you can blink and miss it. Right. That there's, um, there is like a flashback to a kind of weird... Yeah, um, ritual. Ritual yeah. Um, kind of impregnation sequence mm. where in the middle of it Michael Stirring. walks in. Yeah. And, if, and, and there's no the, real the angle the angle kind of to me suggests that he's going to yeah like suggest it's heavily if it's not explicitly said it's very heavily hinted I think well I think the main thing is there's no other candidate in the room who could no. father a child with Jamie at that point mm-hmm. so therefore probably yeah, yeah. But, but also why and yeah you just you kind of just don't really want to think about it not, not particularly but then you start thinking well how does a little girl from Halloween 5 end up in that situation what ha- what's happened in those intervening years yeah. and she's now in a place where she's going to be impregnated oh, well, well there is a flashback in the producer's cut yeah. which shows that straight after the end of Halloween 5 oh she gets like grabbed doesn't she yeah, she, yeah. she's seen Michael leaving the building and she follows him out of the building and it kind of cuts between shots of Danielle Harris from Halloween 5 yeah. to reverse shots of another little girl <laughs> um, seeing Michael Myers being bundled into the back of a van by some evil men, yeah, and then she is also grabbed. Mm. So it's like they captured them both at the same time. But why do they want to father a child yeah. with the, them? I and, uh, editing. We'll sort it's, out in editing. It's head scratchingly confusing it's, to me. It's really kind of weird that this script. I mean, I, again, I can't totally blame Daniel Franz for this because no. he did not set up the plot threads which he then had to connect yeah. but I th- it sounds like he had years to develop this script whereas the guy who wrote Halloween 4 which previous to um, my recent reviewing of it I didn't like that film hmm. but that guy wrote it in a week because of a writer's strike he had to get it finished yeah. he had a flat week to write the whole script and it makes so much more sense you know but admittedly he had a blank canvas yeah, this guy did not. Yeah, I, um, That's, I, I think he's again. There's probably a good movie in there. Like there's there's something in there that probably would have worked with that original script, possibly. But I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know what I'm talking I, about. I, I, I take that back. I think if you <laughs> take that back. if you took away the elements of Halloween Five and mm. like what the writer was trying to do was mm. he was trying to connect it back to the first film I think he tried I he, mean that's what I mean it's a, it's, a, it's a strong try yeah, yeah. Um, obviously because he's bringing characters back he, he got given it, he's giving it his best shot I think, he, the he's doing a, very, a, a good kind of t- almost TV writing trick which mm. is 
resolve all the threads that have been building up mm. but also set things up for the next series yeah yeah. And, and in that sense that's probably what he is doing I hope he's, he's in episodic television yeah. now and he had a career there because that's kind of what he's doing it doesn't work as a movie on its no. own no. also it doesn't work as a follow up to the previous films no. and it certainly doesn't work as a no. set up to the subsequent films because they ignored it so uh, but I have thought about something that I think is both good and bad which this comes up quite a lot in these sequels. I think that's just the film itself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, more, um, more bad than <laughs> We did mention in the previous discussion, we're talking about um, the, the character of Danny. Mm. His full name is Danny Strode. He is the son of the nominal heroine of the film, mm. who is Cara Strode, mm. played by um, the rather good actress. Yeah, I think she's about Marion Hagen. Marion yeah. Hagen. Yeah, she's, she's, she's very good. She's great, and... Um, Complained about the fact. Apparently, the, the by this point in the series, the produ- the ultimate executive producers are the Weinstein brothers. Oh. Ah. Apparently, they didn't like her. Um, Harvey or Bob said her chin was too thin, or something. Ah. But someone stood up for her anyway. And was she that while wearing a bathrobe? Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Um, I just, uh, Sorry, guys. No, no, no. <laughs> he exists. He exists. He was around for a while. You, you can't. We just have to accept You can't it. ignore it when. I mean, we've already talked about Weinstein once in yeah, this did. series yeah. because his first big movie was a slasher film, mm. The Burning. Yeah, yeah. And and he, his name is on three of the Halloween films. Mm-hmm. Probably not the upcoming one, but although I think <laughs> still I don't think his name will be on anything, even the Weinstein Company. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, you have that character. You have Car- Car- Danny Strode mm. and Cara Strode, and I think it's both a good thing and a confusing thing that they are part of the Strode family, mm. because right, Laurie Strode, the hero heroine of the first film, <sighs> was adopted. So her real From name Myers. is Laurie Myers. Yep. But the family who adopted her still live in Haddonfield, and relatives of them have now moved into the Myers house. So they are not related to either Laurie or her daughter, but they're living in the Myers house and they have Laurie's name. And to me, th- those details just made me go, oh my god, help yeah, me! I couldn't find exactly, it's just like, wait, yeah. so he, he was there, but she was there, but so, they lived there. So, the, the grandparents of Jamie's. Jamie Lloyd still alive? Like the Strode grandparents, so uh, Laurie's parents? Yeah, presi- uh, well, no, they're dead. Right, they're oh, dead as well. Oh God, I don't even know. No. It's, um, it, it just seems like they were just trying to like dig mm-hmm. out some kind of like mythology of like yeah, how... Some sort of yeah, so family you, tree. It's a family tree, because in the second one, it's obviously Michael was chasing her, but it was never hinted that, oh, he's, he's cursed or mm. something. Mm. But with this, it just felt like they were just pulling at strings of, you're trying to take a previous mythology and just trying to combine it with this weird cult. Mm. And now, since you've got yourself in a bit of a, like a mating ball, you're just trying to pull it separately and just see what you can pull out from the mess that's in front of you. Um, yes, yeah. I agree entirely. And I, I just think, Every time I, I try and think about why they're there, mm-hmm. my head just scrambles. Yeah. However, I do think there is the kernel of a good idea in this. And the family, I think, is... I think possibly, apart from that scene that we talked about before with Donald Pleasance and mm-hmm. Mitchell Ryan, yeah. I think maybe the best bits in the film, because they, they are functional, 
they're functional as drama, even though it's pretty heavy-handed yeah. drama. Yeah. The family stuff with the Strode family, mm. they live in the house, they're obviously a bit dysfunctional, they don't get on too yeah. well. And you've got the mum and dad called John and Deborah, after John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Right. Ooh. And they are played by an actor called Bradford English, mm. uh, who's, um, if you look at uh, him up on Wikipedia, he is best known for his part in this film. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like Boris Johnson. He, his voice is familiar. I don't know why, but his voice is really familiar. I think he has done voice work, actually. Yeah. Um, and also, and Deborah Strode is played by Kim Darby. Does anybody know who Kim Darby True Grit. Yes. And uh, she's been in Murder She Wrote a couple of times as well. She hasn't been. Well, been. <laughs> I haven't seen True Grit, the original, but I have seen the remake. And, um, have you guys seen I've seen it? No, I've, I've seen uh, bits of the original with John Wayne mm. and it, it's I would say it's more it's of its decade, it's more cheerful compared to obviously the Conan Brothers right. darker version. Yeah. So basically not, not as truly gritty it's true grit with a toothbrush. Okay. <laughs> but, but I I think the young girl in true true grit um, oh, the the, the new one is Hayley Steinfeld. Oh, Hayley Steinfeld, yeah. And she's it's a really great role. And Kim Darby, Deborah Stroke, played that part in the original. Yeah. Um, and I think she's the, um, apart from Pleasance, she's the best actress in this movie. Best actor. Yeah. Um, and there's a little story. If you get through all the stuff about the complications of who the Stroke family yeah. are and yeah. why is the father so unpleasant, right. um, and, and all, yeah, and all that stuff. Um, you get down to the simple story the fact that as, in, as established in the first film the Strode family are estate agents they were trying to sell that house they've never been able to sell it because it's a murder house mm. and eventually um, this guy John Strode, his brother who is Laurie's father that you saw in the original film couldn't sell the house to anyone so he sold it cheap to his own brother <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and John Strode the brother absolutely knew that it was a murder house when he was buying yeah. it but did not tell his wife and children and this comes out during the, the film in that quite good scene of the phone call where she's just had a word with Dr Loomis yeah. she's realised what's going on and she rings him up and says you knew all the time didn't yeah. you you knew yeah. and I think there's a there's an interesting movie there yeah. so well, there's, there's one good um, moment in that in that scene in, in the kitchen where they're all talking uh, where the dad John He's arguing with Marion Hagen, his daughter, mm. uh, and suddenly there's a knife mm. against the father's chest, you know, mm. and he can't see who's holding it. And I just assumed it was the daughter, Marion yeah. Hagen, and it turns out to be little boys mm. holding it. And I thought, well, that's that's nice mm. because that was a genuine sort. Of, I really wasn't kind of. That's interesting because that. I think in the producer's cut, it's clear that you know it's going to be the son doing yeah. that because he's being influenced by the voice of the yeah. man black. But in the theatrical, they they cut that out so it just goes straight to the knife. It's like, and that's more effective. Mm. Yeah, because well, yeah, I mean, interesting. Yeah, because I, th- I think this comes back to what we said about in a lot of ways the theatrical cut being more effective because it cuts everything down, mm. and although it takes out a lot of the explanations, most of the explanations actually lead to more questions. Mm. So it's neat to just not to have them. Yeah, mm. um, and yeah, that that scene is a good is a good scene and Bradford English I think plays it really effectively the, the, the change from, from that bullying bluster he has yeah, yeah. to suddenly being threatened by a small child yeah. <laughs> and silenced you know and so I think there's something there's something there and to be honest 
I think you could have made a whole movie out of just the plight mm. of this family who move into the liar's house. But this is the thing, and this is the thing about all the sequels, mm. and this kind of applies to all of them, is that this is a Halloween sequel. This is a Michael Myers film. People want to see Michael Myers killing people. That's why they've come to see mm. various ways. Yeah. Everything else has to be secondary to that. Yeah. No matter how complicated you want to make the rest of the story, how developed you want to make all the other characters and everything, all the other relationships, the main thing is to see Michael Myers killing people and everything else has to serve that. Yeah. And so when you try to, the more complicated you try to make the story, the less effective it is because you haven't really got time to develop that because if you're trying to develop that story, you keep having to go back to Michael Myers mm. killing somebody. Mm. So there's a lot less. There's a lot less Michael Myers in the producers' cut as well. It's a lot more Loomis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons again why they went with the theatrical cut because wanted to serve the fandom, wanted to serve the. Fans. That's what people get paid yeah. to say, and fair enough. Yeah, you want to see Michael Myers killing people. Yeah. That's what. But that does mean everything else kind of has to take second place, and that's true yeah. of all the sequels. Yeah, exactly. no, 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 complex or, or, or how interesting the other characters are and the, the yeah. story that has to be the centre of it that has to be I the main thing one, one, of, the more, one of the more bizarre things about it I, I find is the banning of Halloween in this film because they've, they've <laughs> officially banned Halloween in Haddonfield yes they're gone. they this say it's been banned for six years so since the yeah, event so it's already been banned yeah. so, so, it's, already gone. Yeah. so it's already been banned uh, and it's been banned for a while but the, uh, the students won't have it. How dare they ban Halloween? Fight fight the power, fight the power. You know, there's pickets, pickets like, we want Halloween back. Ooh, Michael Myers and all this. Uh, and I'm like, isn't there better causes to be fighting for, guys? You know, isn't there more charitable things? No, we want Halloween back. How dare the parents you're, you're take it away from us? You're just waiting for Ken Bacon to just jump in yeah. as Michael Myers and it all breaks into a murder spree. Yeah, it's just like... Uh, so yeah, bizarre. the causes of of college campus yeah. activism have really gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, how far we've gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're talking about. You know, nowadays it'd be Syria or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But you know, it's like, oh no, we want Halloween back. It's like you can have Halloween. It's just you know, but it's it's so. Sad. I'll be honest. That that whole sequence about the students and stuff is just bizarre to me and like I, I spoke to you about it the other day when we met up uh, your I think your least favourite scene in the entire film is part of that yes well what the one kind of plot element that we've not really mentioned is the one that doesn't really connect to the um, the either Thorn plot yeah. or um, the Strode family or, or whatever it's like a totally separate thread but yes. it's there is a DJ coming to town. Mm. I'll be honest, he is my favourite character in the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just wacky. Like, the start of the film, that you're hearing all these phone calls. It's like, hey, I'm heading to Haddonfield, and we're going to talk about Michael Myers. So let's hear for some colours. And it's all these, like, it's like this woman going, I, I, I think he's a really interesting guy. He's re- you know, he's got some really uh, interesting motivations. I don't know what he's doing, but I, I just, I, I found him really fascinating. I want to be with him. It was like, you're a weirdo. But I kind of like that. Yeah, again, I like that, that, the idea that we were saying before about how Michael Myers has affected the people yeah, in this the, town. The legacy. And in all sorts of ways. There's some people actually find him attractive yeah. or whatever kind of thing. Well, you know, he's having this effect on people. Isn't yeah. that interesting? You know, we know him as a, 
it's massive movement. <laughs> but the, the thing is, like, I've, 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 I've met women, believe me or believe it or not, but you know, have a fascination <laughs> with serial killers and yeah, fascination. Yeah. There's people that write into people in prison. You know, they have, yeah. there is an attraction there to that kind of even, darker side. Even Michael, you know, Charlie, Ma- uh, sorry, the Manson. Mm. Yeah, 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 he exactly. got he got like tons of love there. He got married. He, he got married in prison. But you know, whatever attracts people attracts people. So it's not it's no, not no. within. I I think it's that that part of the film is inspired by real life. Yeah. Not least the fact that I think they, I've heard this on YouTube, mm. um, I'm not sure if it's absolutely true, but apparently they wanted Howard Stern to play that part. Oh, that, yes, that, that, I that, that one that I can Now you said that. <laughs> but he, he turned it down. Yeah. Um, no, it is inspired by real life, it is an interesting point, I don't think it's very well written. No. Um, no. And I don't think that actor is very great. No. But on the other hand... I, enjoy, I enjoyed his performance. Uh, I, can, I kind of do enjoy it, but at the same time, there's something about the whole thing which is kind of treading water. Yeah. He's yeah. supposed to be a, a DJ whose act is based on how offensive he is, yeah. but he's never really that offensive. Yes. He makes yeah. a few kind of lewd comments yeah. that are inappropriate. It's like, let's, what's that one he says to the girl? Because the activism is going on. She's like, we're going to take Halloween back. And he's like... Uh, I bet she's a real animal in the sack when you go bareback with her. I'd, yeah. like to, I'd like to go bareback with you anytime. And he's like... Right. But the thing is, it's not even that filthy no. what he says. No. You know, and in the script, there's a bit where um, he drives around the street, the streets in his van with a yeah. loud hailer. Yeah. And one of the thing it, sing, things is, um, uh, he says something like, Okay, you kiddies. And women with big things that rhyme with kiddies. <laughs> and it's like, that's yeah, that's not very. Uh, <laughs> well, you have to remember this came out in the nineties. You know, so you had that like obviously that rebel urge and grunge. Yeah. And, you know, you, you you had you had people like Howard Stern, yeah. shock jocks who, yeah, who knew true. how to stir people and take it to the man. Yeah. So I think it, it is a film of its time. And oh yes. But in a way, in a way, all kind of they all are. Yeah. Yeah. We were saying like Halloween yeah. Four is. It's got elements of an action film, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, influenced by the kind of films that were being mm-hmm. made at that yeah. time. And now you've got this. Now you've got this shock jock character mm-hmm. who's very much of that time. Mm-hmm. So kind of genre films do reflect mm-hmm. the time. It's probably yeah. more so than. than but again, was I saying? Yeah. yeah, I mean that's fascinating how how Hanfield's been affected by Michael mm-hmm. Myers. But you can't develop it that much because you've got to have the killing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't. It's, it's, you know, we're going back to the dressing up as Michael and things yeah. like that. It's, it's an interesting element to have that boogeyman urban legend stuff. But then you're almost making fun of something within your own movie you're taking away the serious tone of the killings and, yeah. and things like that if it, it was like the influence of Michael Myers like it was a film about copycat killers yeah, yeah. I, I think that would work for Halloween well, that, we were discussing in another podcast that that was one of the ideas for Four wasn't it Four yeah that was one of the ideas yeah. that was the influence of Michael Myers the, uh, keeping it you know keeping it contained and you know not talked about banned uh, and that's why that kind of came out again again yeah. and I think probably Daniel Ferrand's knew about that idea and yeah. that's why I put it in this script so mm. he's just taking everything he can piling it in mm. there's something of um, you know they call it first novel syndrome where a writer tries to put all of their ideas yeah. into oh, one thing, thing. over explaining yeah um, but you know it obviously worked 
for some people, Donald Pleasant thought it was the best script. <laughs> and, and certainly this script has more ideas in it than any of the other yeah. movies. Yeah, Probably it's got a lot all of, ideas, of the other movies. I mean, to be, to be fair, like um, I think it's I think I've heard it's the same issue with the new Predator movie that there's mm. loads of different ideas where they just slam them into one film, but they could all have been their own film with that mm. one idea. So maybe that's the same with this one, especially just, with like the ending of the new Predator as well. It's yeah, is that leave it open-ended? It, I've not seen it. It's, it's open-ended, but it's you could tell that Shane Black has taken his Marvel influence. Yeah. And universe, universe building. You, you have Iron Predator. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make snarky quips? <laughs> Possibly. No, it's just like, here's something to say mankind. Oh, I am Iron Predator. Hmm. Oh. Um, like Dan, I would really like you to talk about the the scene we talked about uh, that you really, really hate with the little, the yes, little girl. Yes, <laughs> well, we are getting to that point. Um, so, it, on Halloween night, when there is the festival with uh, the DJ Barry The DJ's students, there, the, yeah, the, they're all the protesting the banning of Halloween. An on-stage interview, which is quite cringeworthy with yep. the student leaders, and then the DJ wanders off and he's killed by Michael Myers in, in a van, um, and nobody notices. Um, but then, certainly in the producer's cut, we then get the worst scene I think I've ever seen in a movie of it's all pretty time. pretty bad. And it is the, um, it is the, Mummy, it's raining, it's raining red scene. Do you remember this, Luke? I can't remember. It's, it's quite short. It's quite short. It is, yeah. It's quite short. It's, it's in the theatrical cut as well, but yeah, it's in a quite different form. Oh, right. In the theatrical it's raining. cut. It's raining. It's raining. Red. Paul Rudd Paul Red standing there and he hears oh, yeah. someone saying, It's red. And he looks and there's a girl and she's looking and some red stuff has dripped on her and she yeah. looks up and it's the DJ who's been killed and strung yeah, up in, yeah. in the tree. In the, theat- in the producer's cut, it's the same action, but the lead up to it. Is Paul Rudd standing there and he hears someone singing, Mummy, it's raining, it's raining red. And he looks around and he hears it again. And he looks around and he hears it again. And then finally he sees a little girl and she keeps saying it and she keeps saying it and he keeps looking at her and she keeps saying <laughs> it. And then, she, and then she says, it's warm. And, and I'm thinking, where the hell is her mother? <laughs> Who is she singing this to? Because there's no one apparently in view. Also... That's has not a song. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't remember like songs being like that huh. now. Yeah. I mean, it's raining. It's raining red. Why is it warm? Yeah. <laughs> it's literally like that. Why is it warm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and then it's... Where, yeah, where all, is the mum? Yeah, well, the mum appears like one second later. Yeah, well, when like, second when, they, see the, when the, they see the body, the body yeah. and yeah. the thing. And the mother appears out of nowhere and grabs the child. Yeah. But we have this just really long scene. And I think, obviously, this scene is not the same in the original script. I've got a... Maybe it was added later. Mm. But whoever thought it was a good idea to have this kid... It just is so... It doesn't make sense on so many levels to me. So obviously somebody thought it was like a chilling thing. Oh, the child doesn't realise that it's Creepy children. Creepy children. She's a six-year-old child. Does she not know what blood is? Yeah. Also, she does a little dance and a song that goes on for ages. It does go on for way too long. Um, 
Well, I've always wondered how did he get him up at there in the first place? Did anybody exactly? See this is yes, yeah. what you were saying yeah. earlier about yeah. stringing them up and putting yeah. them there. And putting but that, this is in a public place. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be those big co- It is. It's absolutely littered. I with bet there's like a deleted students. scene where it's just Michael trying to chuck <laughs> the body on the tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just oh. have this image of him putting on it. The body's just constantly falling. Okay, I'll use a rope. I just want to scare one person, just one person with this body. I just <laughs> and, he, and he just sees the child. It's like, okay, can you learn this? Yeah. I've written it. For you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a measure of how bad this film is, or whatever. Is that you're thinking those things? Yeah. yeah. In the first film, you don't. No. Yeah. You just go. But by now, because he's killed so many people over the course of all the films, like, <laughs> yeah. not somebody else strung up, not somebody else yeah. hidden behind yeah. a door, yeah. or whatever. It's but, the same old. But at, that, at least in the theatrical cut, they cut that scene right down, so yeah. you don't have to. I was literally by the third time she was singing that, I was going, "Why is she singing that? What's going on?" Yeah. It's so irritating, yeah. and it just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. At least in the movie, it's like, "There's a body there," and I should point out within the script, it still doesn't make much sense of how he got the body up there. No. But it's a much more expansive scene. He doesn't mm-hmm. just string him up in a tree; he strings him up over the stage, right? And it, the body comes down onto the stage while there are people watching yeah, yeah, yeah. and everybody goes crazy mm. with fright and then Paul Rudd does his everybody run away yeah. <laughs> um, acting mm. um, we've not really talked about Paul Rudd much I think we should probably, yeah I don't, I, I don't want to bash the Rudd though <laughs> but I, I love the Rudd in, <laughs> in so many ways and he saves a lot of films but this one he can't save I thought he was alright. It was his, it was his was first was... film. Wasn't yeah, I'll, I'll give him a break. I mean, he does creepy acting very well. <laughs> That's my problem with it. He does do creepy acting quite well, but doesn't he realise that he is the hero of the film? Yeah. You know, I know this, this, he does, he's not helped by the script, which no. introduces his character staring into the bedroom of a, of a woman getting Not only that, it, when... when um, uh, what was it? Uh, what was the Strode? Which what was her name? Cara. Cara. Cara Strode comes home. She finds not only him in the bedroom with her son, with nobody else around, uh, but he's holding a baby as well. <laughs> yeah. And he turns around very creepily, like "Hello, nobody was in, so I stayed. <laughs> so yes, hi, I was the boy that was staring at you undressing the other night." How's things? <laughs> my, my reading of that, and perhaps it's me trying to make sense of things yeah. rather than anything, is that this is how the events of the original film have affected him. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's made him and it's a, it's, weird. It, I think it is a, like an obsession almost uh, akin to Loomis. No, he, he, no he is, and mm. I agree with that. But the script positions him as basically the, the, the lead sympathetic male. Mm. Yeah, well, mm. I think he kind of. You can't he, have he, two he Loomises. That. Yeah. He starts off as weird. And then as time goes on, he becomes... Like, well, don't judge him by... Even though he does yeah, some very Even on the theatrical cut, he, he comes off cocky to Michael when he's got, like, the two syringes in his hand. Yeah. He's like, so, you're in Michael Mann. Well, I, I, exactly. I think that's what has created that is because in, in the reshoots, they've realised they don't have Donald Pleasance. They need to make... Tommy, a more of a heroic, heroic yeah. character, and give him the action at the end of things. So he goes for that. Um, so the Dungeons and Dragons stuff he does, <laughs> the producers <laughs> yeah. but, he got, he, but again, he does that look. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'll, yeah. I'll deal with my Myers. Bye. Yeah, there is a kind of sense of smallness about him. He doesn't. Um, this is not necessarily Paul Rudd's fault. No. But again, no. no, I can't connect him really to the little boy. From no, the first film. no. 
And again, wrong colour hair. But as we've established, hair <laughs> <laughs> It was the 90s, man. Take her hair every day. It gets dyed. We've not mentioned um, the director, Joe Chappelle. Okay. Um, and probably with good reason. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, he's a guy. <laughs> I don't think I ended there. So I'd like to think that he. That's got his Wikipedia page. <laughs> He's the guy who directed Halloween 6. Yeah. I, I like to think he got the job because he had the same initials as John Carpenter, and they just wanted. Thought, if people squint or watch this without their glasses, they might think John Carpenter directed it. Um, I do think it, uh, something I, I noticed in the theatrical cut. Um, versus the the other cut mm. is that originally there was much more kind of traditional Halloweeny music in it. Right. Mm. The music in this film is obviously is by Alan Howarth again, who did the music for the previous two films on his own. But he uses a lot more of all the themes from Halloween One, and there's lots of Cara Strode walks around, and the music of the haunted house is playing as mm. she walks, yeah. and the music goes Howard. What? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know the haunted house music. Oh, do. Doom, doom, doom. Yeah. Yeah, I do like that. It's a lot yeah. of that. But the thing is, again, it's like the, the, the magical alchemy of Halloween. We were talking in the previous episode about how you can add something to the music, like you can do some extra funk or whatever, but it actually doesn't add anything necessarily yeah. because the original was, was the minimalism was the point. And in this movie, it kind of proves that. They do try and do what the original did, which was just reuse the same pieces of music over and over again. But it just doesn't work. Um, and it may be because you, do, you, you don't care for the characters in the same way, you don't have the same understanding of what's going on, so the suspense can't build, but it just becomes irritating or anything. You're yeah. just having this same music hammered at you. And also I think, I get the sense that Alan Howarth is quite depressed that he's been basically just asked to imitate John Carpenter yeah. mm-hmm. rather do his own thing because the, the music is le- is badly orchestrated. It just sounds cheap and cheesy. Mm-hmm. When you get towards the end of the film, of the producer's cut, and they go into the cult's base, mm-hmm. it, um, Howarth suddenly realises, oh, I can do some new stuff here. And it, the music suddenly becomes much, much better and starts to sound kind of like something that he and Gavin would do on Prince of Darkness. The kind of ritual scene, and, mm. and it all, it's a big, big trouble in little trainer, and the music's kind of going boom, 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 pulsating electronica, and all that is kind of much more interesting to me, and I think he sounds more interested. And weirdly, when they re-edited it into the theatrical cut, all the music kind of sounds more like that. Um, although something they add in the theatrical cut that's not in the producers is loads of electric guitar, screaming electric guitar. Whenever, like, Michael Myers is stalking people. (laughs) 
<laughs> so again, there's, I don't know, 90s appealing to... Well, it is 90s music. Because you have to remember, I think this was like the same time that the first... Was it the first Scream came out? It was just before the first. Yeah. Before, yeah, so... Yeah, again, it's that film of the, the early 90s where some of the influences grunge was just kicking in and older elements of the 80s was... You know what? The, the more you talk about the grunge, the more I would have never connected grunge to the Halloween franchise. It seems, seems to be very grungy. It seems to be very I think grungy for yourself. I think, yeah, because it is a nice film. When you think nice, you think Kirk Bain and that sort of music and how music was developing there, especially with like Nine Inch Nails, especially, yeah. that influence. Well, like, like music, like rock music has always been kind of associated with horror and it's kind like of heavy metal. Black, forms, yeah, yeah, Black Sabbath, Alice Cooper, they've, they've always been those kind of links. So, so yeah. I, I get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. Um, in, a weird, in a weird way, Halloween 6 has mashed my brain again. Um, <laughs> this is what I felt like after watching the two shots and reading bits of the scripts. I'm after not, today, you're I'm never going to have to go near that again. <laughs> well, I th- yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, I know, I no longer know where we are. Um, I think possibly we've said everything we could say about Halloween. Yeah. Is, is there anything? So the thing is, I mean, you're talking about the producer's cut and all mm. that sort of stuff, but the the theatrical cut is the is the film, is the yeah. official film. That's yeah. the one that's canon. So that's the one you have to sort of mm. go with. Go with, and and so what's well, in that is. Sort I, of, I don't know because there isn't a canon of Halloween anymore. Well, no, but I mean that's the one that came out, and that's the one that most people. Yeah. About not a lot of people. Yeah. I think it's it's the this last film of that timeline before it takes the ultimate uh, alternative take with H two O. Yeah. And with this new one that's coming out. Um, True. Yeah. Just Halloween, which is another. Alternative timeline, yeah. and then the remakes of their own timeline. Yeah, of course. Exactly. Well, that, that's just that's just this is this is like this was before the first kind of di- real divergent yeah. kind of film, wasn't it? Like this was still a technically considered or canon six. Yeah, yeah. six is a sort of sequel to a five yeah. and four. Yeah, well, certainly all all the stuff about the cult things comes from the rune yeah. symbol being used in five, mm-hmm. and you do see that symbol. Um, Michael Myers burns it onto a hay bale or something. That's it? correct, yeah. Um, which in the script, I think he's done a kind of crop circle thing with it. It's a mm. massive symbol that yeah. they see from the air. But obviously the producers went, we're not putting our buses in a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> not even a special effect one. No. So um, they just, they, they minimised that. Um, Made me feel like I was watching The Crow or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's his mark. Or dead. came home. Um... It's his mark. He never used that mark ever before. No, <laughs> I know. Yeah, and yeah, like, that's, something, that's something else. Yeah. yeah, just kind of right as if... I feel like this should be like a montage of just Michael Myers in the field just practising his symbols. Yeah. Huh. It's like, oh, God. I couldn't get it quite right. <laughs> <laughs> it needs more, needs more druid. Mm. I'm not druidy enough. It's not druidy enough. <laughs> well, that's, that's another thing. If they were going to call it 666, surely it would be a satanic... Mm. It would be a satanic cult and not a, a druid cult, would it? That's a good point, actually. Because it's got nothing to do, it would have had nothing to do with Satan whatsoever. Yeah, that's you a know. very good point. I, I tell you what, but, but he was stuck with the rune thing. And yeah, rune is druidic, not yeah. satanic. Yeah. True, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> it is a mess. It's trying to do too much. It's trying to tie up loose ends that can't be tied up. Mm. Mm. It's trying to make everything make sense that can't make sense. I'll tell you another good thing. I like to try and end on a good, a good mm. thing. Something yeah, that is in the theatrical cut as well, both versions, uh, is an actress called... 
Oh. Helen Mirren. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, hang on, I've got, I've got it noted. Um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't need to look. Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> <laughs> An actress called Janice Nickrame, who plays Mrs. Blankenship. I think she's one of the best things in the film, but she's very easy to miss and forget about. How did she strike you at all? Was she the old lady? She's the old lady. Turns out to be a baddie. Oh, yeah. 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 She does have the speech about the Halloween, yeah. Yeah. which is basically a rewrite of Colonel Cochrane's speech from Halloween 3, and yeah. I think it's deliberately meant to do that. Mm. And uh, she's great at, at, in, at delivering that speech. Mm. She then doesn't have anything else to do. Yeah. But it is kind of clever that they set up this character who's just in the background for the whole movie. Mm. And then a crucial point. Also, she, the scene that she's in does lead to the amazing... Marianne Hagen dives through a window so yeah. <laughs> like, that's what you do isn't it you know you're trapped in a room you just go for the nearest window never mind that you're on the third isn't floor that, isn't that another shot where it's clearly a man in a dress <laughs> the stunt man in a dress Oh dear. It was better than her other scene where it's like it's, she's trying to convince the little her little boy that everything's fine and she's like you know ghosts and goblins Oh, piss off! In the script and in the producer's cut, when uh, her little boy is having a nightmare at the start of the film, she has like a little dance that she does that is sort of ritual, if you will, reassures him. But um, in, in the theatrical version, they sensibly cut it out because yes. you can tell that the actress is really embarrassed. To be it's like she, it's, um, it's 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 like from the first scene where it's just like. They just the actress who plays Mary's like I just can't get yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think again I suspect that the director either because he's just not very good or didn't care mm. was not great at getting the actors to commit to those little moments. Yeah. And in another way that the actual cut is better is that it actually cuts a lot of those yeah. moments out, yeah. so it feels more consistent. Mm. But yeah, um, witches and ghouls get lost. You jokes know the rules. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. She's a good actress, though. Yeah. She's a good actress. I, no, no, I, I, I wish she'd mm. done more. Mm. And I, I think it's kind of in... This film has a certain poignancy in that it is Donald Pleasance's last yeah. Yeah. film. True, yeah. The last horror film. And I think it's really good. I was surprised yeah. watching he's it. Good. How yeah. energetic and yeah. how kind of enthused he was and how committed he was to it. And he's really good. And it's I'm, nice I'm very it. happy that he ended the film with... No! 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 <laughs> That's, that, was, that made my day. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it, it actually, it's not a great movie for him to go out on, but it is a great performance for yeah. him. Yeah, yes, it's not, yeah. And I, I think that is a great note to end on, actually. Mm-hmm. Unless anyone has anything else they'd like to No, end. it's probably quite no, pointless, said, whatever I'm going to say. Enough about that, because <laughs> my head's reeling. Uh, <laughs> right. Trying to work it all out. Just saying, you know, God bless Donald Pleasance for yes, their yes, performance, and sorry yeah. the film wasn't that good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, he thought it was. <laughs> so yeah, he thought it was the best script. Huh. So, and I'd just like to say, weirdly, it did make a ton of money. Yeah, it did. Fifteen million. Really? It yeah. was. It was made for five million, and it was. And it made up to fifteen million. Depending. No, fifty million. Fifty million. Yeah, I believe so. Oh. It, it, U.S. Uh, gross. Oh, it didn't come out just... theatrically in Britain. No, no. But so it did do really well. And, but I think it was mainly the the death of Pleasance which forced a big rethink yeah. mm. for the next movie, mm. and maybe the 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 renewed interest of one Jamie Lee Curtis. But we'll discuss that yes. in the next episode. 
Thank you very much, gentlemen, for, for sticking with us on this <laughs> interesting troll through Journey. the fascinating depths of Halloween 6. Thank you very much, Howard. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. And thank you very much indeed. Uh, thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Listeners, we shall hope you have the pleasure of your company once again when we talk about Halloween H2O 20 years later. And hello again, folks. It's 2020 Dan here again. Uh, just to see us out of this week's episode with some recommendations. I hope you enjoyed the Halloween review. Um, but here are my thoughts for recommendations for this week. Firstly, to follow up on a recommendation that Ian gave in last week's episode, uh, Des on the ITV Hub. That's available to stream in the UK via the ITV Hub. It's ITV1's drama starring David Tennant about the serial killer Dennis Nielsen. Um, I watched it all this week and it's very, very good and I do recommend it. Um, it's in no way horror, really. It's um, it's a, a dark drama and an insight into a disturbing mind. It's It completely eschews any violence or gore, even post-mortem gore, um, connected with the case. It, it it leaves all that stuff to the imagination and it's probably all the more powerful for it. It's it's beautifully acted by um, a really distinguished cast and it's powerful stuff. So my recommendations for this week are, well, on Amazon Prime in the UK, if you're a UK subscriber to Amazon Prime, um, the first two Quatermass films from Hammer Studios are available. So... These were made and released in 1955 and 1957. Quatermass Experiment and Quatermass 2, both directed by Val Guest, starring Brian Donlevy and based on TV series written by Nigel Neal. Um, the second one is a particularly relevant recommendation as we are on one of our Halloween reviews because um, Quatermass 2 was one of John Carpenter's favourite films growing up and th that was the movie that started his interest in Nigel Neal and led to him working with Nigel Neal on Halloween 3 and in fact I think if you watch Quatermass 2 and Halloween 3 there are a number of points of comparison you can see that there's a continuity of imagination there even though I'm not sure if that's because Nigel Neal was involved with writing both or because John Carpenter, in rewriting Halloween 3, kind of called back to the stuff that he'd seen from Nigel Neal, which inspired him, and he wanted to incorporate that kind of stuff. Um, so those are there on Amazon Prime, if you're a UK-based uh, subscriber. Something else I'll recommend, which I normally wouldn't, is that the, the very great documentaries about the making of Alien and Aliens are available um, on YouTube, the ones that were produced for the 2003 Alien Quadrilogy box set. I think seeing as um, Ron Cobb has passed away, I wouldn't normally recommend, um, you know, uh, someone posting illegal stuff on YouTube. But if you do happen to be a fan of the first two movies and you've probably already bought them or owned them in some form... Um, on DVD or Blu-ray and the numerous other releases that they've had, but you've never seen these documentaries, well, they are really worth a watch. They're fascinating companion pieces to the movies. 
And of course, there's a great deal of insight into Ron Cobb's contribution, and he's a, a fascinating character and a fun guy, very engaging actually. And it's really nice that James Cameron, who directed Aliens, um, you know, that movie was not written or produced or directed by the people who did Alien, but James Cameron did bring over a number of the talents who had contributed to Alien, and one of them was Ron Cobb, and I think his design aesthetic and the kind of world that he creates is key to both films feeling like that they take place in the same universe, and I think that later Alien productions, which don't have his input, um, you can, well, they miss it. There's, you can tell that they shift away from feeling quite like the same world. Um, so the making of Alien from 1979 is called The Beast Within, and the making of Aliens is called Superior Firepower. They're both long, detailed documentaries, really interesting, and I'll put those links in the show notes. So that's this week's uh, episode of Now the Podcast Starts. Um, next week, we're going to have several returns. We're going to have the return of Kirsty after a long absence. We're going to have the return of Stella. We're going to have the return of Ian Winterton once again. And we're going to have the return of special guest Rob Savage talking about his film host in spoilerific detail as we go into a spoiler review of what is probably collectively our favourite film of 2020 so far. You know from the earlier episode of how much we liked it. We're careful not to spoil it in case you haven't seen it. But next week we will be spoiling it entirely. So you have one week left to watch the movie on Shudder uh, before you hear us um, go into all the spoilery details about what was great about it. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll all be back next week. In the meantime... Take care of yourselves. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Howard Whittock and T.D. Velasquez. With special guests Spider Dan and Luke Richards. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at And Now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash And Now Podcast. And now the podcast stops.